Hello and welcome to this special end-of-year review podcast. Throughout the last 12 months, we've been capturing some of the year's best events and moments in audio form. We've covered the summer graduation, the graduate show, the election of the new students' union officers, the inaugural lecture series, to name just a few. So, with the year drawing to a close, we thought it'd be nice to relive some of these highlights in a special roundup podcast. You'll hear from our students, staff, honorary graduates, and even the Vice-Chancellor as we embark on a whistle-stop tour of 2019 at the University of Brighton. Enjoy the podcast. We'll start with one of the most joyous events of the year, graduation. We were at the Brighton Centre all week getting reaction from new graduates, their proud parents and guardians, honorary graduates, and some of the staff doing pivotal work behind the scenes. Hello. And welcome to this very special University of Brighton podcast, recorded at the summer 2019 graduation ceremonies. I'm Professor Deborah Humphreys, the University's Vice-Chancellor. It's my absolute privilege to present some of the highlights of this summer's graduation. These ceremonies are really the highlight of the university calendar. Over 4,000 students with friends, families and supporters have come together at the Brighton Centre from all parts of the UK, and over 100 countries. Their ages have ranged between 19 to 73. We're going to be hearing from our students, the academics who've been teaching them, their parents, the recipients of our honorary awards, but we're going to start with how the ceremonies come together and some of the work of the amazing team behind the scenes. I'm Alan Meggs. I'm the technical voice of God for the graduation ceremonies, and that is that I deal with the light, sound, audiovisual, camera angles, that sort of stuff, of what goes on for every graduation ceremony. So if anything goes wrong, like the lights don't come on or the platform party don't arrive on time, it's my fault. You'll always see me dancing up the back there because it's that way you can, can relax. And think, yeah, that's tiny. So I'll have a little dance along with what's going on as well. Yeah, there is, there is that sense of, yeah, I've, I've, made, I've made it happen. And, you know, and I've made a lot of people happy for it. I'm Jo Corbett and I work in academic services. And my team here run all the student stewarding and guest side of the ceremonies. The organisation of the ceremonies is a huge operation. We start planning the summer ceremonies back in February. Invites to our students who we are expecting to graduate go out in March, so it's quite an early start. We've got nearly 4,000 students graduating this week, so to make sure every single one gets on stage at the right time, gets the right certificate, sitting in the right place going up the ramp at the right time is a huge undertaking and involves lots of people. You can't see many of those people, they're very uh, hidden behind the scenes, but it makes it all work like clockwork. My name's Lauren, I've just graduated as an adult nurse. And my name's Erica and I am the adult field lead and senior lecturer in the adult nursing course. Independence and confidence in myself, because I think that's something that I lacked before I came to uni. And then uni is very much, not just academically, just like by living by yourself, going around everywhere by yourself, making new friends, learning everything as well. So although there's lots of support, you're, you're doing it on your own, which is a lot different, I thought, to A-levels and stuff, but it was really good. And from the academic side, how does it feel to see, to be here and see your students? Oh, that's why we come to graduation. It's an, ach- it's an accumulation of their achievement. Holly Coulson, I've just done a politics degree. My mind has opened so much to so many new viewpoints and so many new kind of experiences 
and I think that's what university is all about. One thing I would say is definitely communicate a lot of your lecturers, they're there to help you and use all the resources that are available. I think the biggest thing I took from my course is my friends and the inspiration that they were to me the whole way through uni, I would have done it without. My name is Moin Oluwa, Gabriel Oluwale Scott, and I just graduated in paramedic practice, BSc. To be honest, a lot of the guys I am... Um, I studied alongside um, and the lectures that we had, uh, especially for myself because I now actually work in London. So, um, yeah, not around a lot of the guys, but it's been great learning all together and everyone de seeing everyone develop over the past three years. And, uh, yeah, that was actually a good time. <laughs> no, I just enjoyed all of it. <laughs> Don't think I could pick out a particular one. But, uh, yeah, a lot of good memories and a lot of good times. My name is Shaili Pandya. I'm graduating with Masters of Science in Physiotherapy. It's really amazing. It's really an awesome opportunity for me to graduate here from, from well-known University of Brighton. It's all about confidence and getting skills, um, uh, stepping into a real world. I'm Shaili's mom, very proud of my daughter. I'm very happy today. My name is Mohamed Abbar Zenchi. I just graduated Biomedical Science. Hi there, my name is uh, Tani Mia, and I've also like, graduated Biomedical Science. I think it's the network that we've built Friendship, even lecturers, I'll miss them all. And I'll miss him. <laughs> Matteo, Matteo Ferreza, and I just graduated in War, Terror and Democracy. My name is Tamara Caria, I'm Swiss, and I just graduated in War, Terror and Democracy as well. My name is Martin, and I've just graduated in Humanities. I think I will really miss learning a new topic every week. Like every week, we've uh, for the past three years, we've been learning so many new things it's just been amazing and i've also met my girlfriend here so i'm living all of that in here i will miss the nice people i met here uh, the seagulls but i won't miss reading too much the people the friends and the uh, acquaintances i made over the past three years but also the place brighton is just a nice place to be i'm clara caladine i've graduated from ba architecture what I miss most, what I'm going to miss most about graduating uh, is probably the people that I've met, the amazing city and definitely the tutors on my course. As ever, we're delighted to have the chance to recognise the exemplary work of individuals outside of our university. Many of our recipients of this year's Honorary Academic Awards are actually graduates of ours. On the first morning, we welcomed Munro Bergdorf, a graduate here, a model, transgender activist and LGBT campaigner who gave an extremely powerful speech and paid tribute to one of her former lecturers. I honestly never thought that this would or could ever happen. I, <laughs> I'm just really lost for words and I'm sure that I'll, you know, have a little cry later and um, it'll all be processed. But right now I'm just really thankful to be able to share today with the graduates. University of Brighton is where I found myself. It, allowed me the space to understand who I am as a person and um, where I want to go. It also made me realise that there are people in academia that want you to win. Um, even though it can seem, especially when you're going through other things, quite secondary sometimes. Um, you know, when you're, when you're going through something it's like a gender crisis um, or an identity crisis or a sexuality crisis um, internally, when I say crisis I mean internally, um, it can be quite difficult to apply yourself in an academic setting but Brighton just made me realise the importance of good teachers.
It's a really special day. I had quite a rocky time when I was studying here um, in 2005 to 2008 and um, I had a quite a severe eating disorder and, um, and really severe depression and my lecturer Jess Moriarty um, helped me get through that period of time so my speech was really about the importance of kindness and you know investing um, your compassion in people because you never know who would need your help and you never know when you would need to have yourself. Jess Moriarty and I'm principal lecturer in the School of Humanities. I'm completely blown away I mean she is such a, a generous and kind thing that she did to, to say those amazing words about me um, and she was an extraordinary student as well you know although she she did have a difficult time the way that she dealt with the challenges that she faced her creativity her innovation her ability to take on kind of difficult subjects and challenge them you know the, the, the way that she's dealt with the haranguing she's received in the in the in, in the media as well it's just extraordinary and actually um, I've started referencing Monroe in some of my research as well so so she is a huge inspiration to me and and she was the perfect choice for honorary doctorate today because I'm sure she's going to inspire loads of our graduates too. Congratulations to all our students. We're deeply proud of you all. You'll be successful because you are capable, resilient, brilliant, and you make our university what it is. My huge thanks to all my staff who've been there behind the scenes making the whole event such a success. It was all change at Brighton Students' Union in the summer with the arrival of a new team of officers. We met them to find out about their backgrounds and plans for the year ahead. Hi, my name is Calvin Jantz. I'm the SU President. Hi, I'm Susie Douglas and I am Vice President Activities at the SU. Hi, I'm Rami Badri and I'm Vice President Education at the SU. So for me, I've got a few things I want to focus on. Um, one of them uh, is employability and making sure that um, students feel as though that once they've left the university that they've actually gained the skills necessary to go into whatever field of work that they want to. Um, I suppose not second, but like next on my agenda would probably be um, closing the uh, BAME attainment gap. Um, so doing a lot of work with uh, Joe McDonald here and um, making sure that we can get those numbers uh, up to where they should be, um, making sure that it's just a really inclusive place. Um, and that kind of goes for, that inclusivity also stretches to all of the, what we call liberation groups. So those LGBT, um, disabled students, mature students, anyone that feels as though their voice isn't properly being represented. I just want to make sure that they feel part of the conversation. So we've got some shared, some shared goals. Um, I'd put them down as communication. We're all very keen to make the students' union uh, itself more more broadly known. Uh, we're very, very keen for the freshers' uh, period to be a lot more out on campus, speaking to people, um, really really changing the dynamics uh, around Brighton and making the students' union a much bigger part of the student experience. Uh, so communication is quite a big one for us. Um, I mean, I don't want to stand on Rami's talk what he's going to say but obviously employability is a big one. You can one. stand on my toes all you want. Okay, okay. Um, I'm, I'm very sorry. keen on looking <laughs> in the volunteers kind of employability and all the, all of our volunteers to make sure they get some accreditation for what they do. 
Um, inclusivity is another big one. I mean, I'm just listing out the strategic yeah. plan for the FU, to be honest. <laughs> but, um, we want to, I think, the biggest thing that we can do as a, as a union and as officers is also kind of encourage and empower students to bring their ideas yeah. and, and, and for us to support those ideas. We had, for instance, last year, uh, Bella Wilson, um, Expect Respect, which was a campaign essentially focused on the idea of consent and the importance of that. Um, so we want to also work with students directly. We, we want to be surveying them, getting the feedback from them. And, and as Calvin said, we have a lot of short uh, shared joint goals. Um, a lot of kind of initiatives will be focused on kind of enhancing and improving well-being and making sure a lot of the services in place and activities provided um, su- support that. Um, a lot of what I want to do now, obviously, is, is education-based. Um, but I want to go beyond kind of also education. So we want to diversify, for instance, the placement options that are available for students because that comes up time and time again. We have such a broad range and a diversity of students, and we want to make sure that the placement options, those work schemes for them, and those years, those vital opportunities, um, there are more more of them available to students, more diverse opportunities in other countries as well, um, not just in the UK for those students that do want to travel, which is a significant portion. I do want to also um, kind of create more visibility for mature and postgraduate students. Uh, many times, I guess, they're not they don't always feel that they are part of the learning community because of perhaps that age difference because of their different experiences and we want to you know incorporate them more so and provide more opportunities for them as well 2019 also saw the launch of the new brighton center for contemporary arts based at our city campus before the grand unveiling the center's artistic director ben roberts outlined his vision the idea with the brighton cca is that it's a way to use the galleries to um, enhance students experiences of being at the university, but also to um, connect with the the city beyond our walls, if you like. Um, So my vision for it is to develop some of the work that I was doing at the Artist Research Centre, connecting artist practice with uh, university research and um, finding ways for an audience to come in and engage with that. So Rather than try and make those spaces into a, a sort of a museum white box, if you like, I want to celebrate and um, make the most of the situation where we are in an art school in the centre of town, something that's a bit more used, you know, a bit sort of messy around the edges somehow. But, you know, really sort of thinking about that as being that's the centre of creativity in a way, you know, and trying to... Um, make the most of that and exploit it in a way that people can then really see. So a lot of the things that you'll come across in the galleries are going to be to do with experimental projects. There'll be uh, artists that have been commissioned to do something new in their practice, or they'll be quite literally developing something in the spaces, you know, whether that's a performance work that, you know, they haven't done before, or whether that's a conversation with an academic. Um, It could be all sorts of things. So one of the, the, the real sort of identifiers of the programme is that it will be interdisciplinary. It'll cross from geography into biology and back to art and uh, sculpture and photography. All of these things were mixed in because that's what artists are interested in. Everything, you know, it's how the stuff sort of linked together. And it comes back to this idea of it being an art school where you learn all that stuff and lots of things are going in and you're trying stuff out. So... It'll be quite a raw space, it'll be quite um, experimental, but it should be really lively and really exciting to see. I hope we're, we're enhancing the whole sort of university in that sort of way, because one of the things about this is that it's going to be internationally focused, you know, sort of our artists working all over the world in really interesting ways. It's not always the best art that's on your doorstep. Um, sometimes it is, and we'll be showing some local artists as well. Um, but I think it's, yeah, it's about 
taking that idea of an artist that people might know a little bit about or might be famous in the art world a bit and saying, how could we sort of move things on? Because it's very easy for an artist, you know, when they have some success or, you know, when they start to sell things, for example, that people just want more of that, you know, and it's, it's easy to get stuck in that rut. So there aren't so many places that are willing to support work in this way and, you know, the possibility to make something new and say, actually, no, we don't want it all like this anymore you've got some ideas, you're an artist that, you know, has lots of interest, why don't we follow some of those pathways, go some, down some of those rabbit holes and see what, see what comes out. Before the 2019 graduate show, which saw students across a number of creative degrees display their work, we invited three students into the studio to discuss their projects and time at the university. I'm Annie and I'm on 3D Design and Craft. I've been focusing on microplastics specifically in the biological ways that they affect different sea creatures. So I've been making my own sheet material by melting down plastic waste that I find on the beach and then turning it into sea creatures. So I've got Manuel the manta ray, Larry the lobster, Perkins the pufferfish and Christoph the coral, who are my main creatures. So they've all got specific different reasons why I'm looking at them. So For Larry the Lobster, I'm looking at the way that lobsters are constantly ingesting microplastics and they then shed their shells like snakes and eat the old shell to have protein for the new shell. So therefore the microplastics never leave their system. So lobsters in the future will actually become plastic. I'm Jamie. I'm studying digital music and sound art. So my final project is like a large scale AV installation based on Monet's water lilies paintings. And I kind of decided to do it not by accident, but I was in Paris um, visiting the museum, looking at them, and I kind of just started taking photos, basically. And it just kind of turned into what it is now. Three very large screens that mimic the curve of the paintings in Paris. They're 200 inches each across, so the actual whole installation is about 13 metres long. But really, the main proponent of it is um, it has seven-channel audio and that is comprised of like ambient composition that runs going on two hours it's more like an hour 40 minutes and um field recordings from his garden where he did the paintings so i went to the garden the end of last year in about november and i just took loads of recordings loads of photos and some video which is a makes up another part of the work i used the photos i took of his paintings in paris Mm and like animated them so that they move it kind of look like looks like the paint's all dripping and like rolling over itself and then i like animate them externally to kind of flow over the top of each other really the whole point is that Monet's work and a lot of the work within kind of impressionist art is about ideas of multi-point perspective i'm briar and i'm studying philosophy politics and art my dissertation focuses on Uh, The relationship between postmodernism, which I'm sure everyone's kind of come across, it's like a very amorphous term that can literally relate to anything, but the way I use it is kind of using it in a philosophical way to basically show a contempt towards postmodernism from my point of view, because postmodernism is very much about focusing on the individual in the present and kind of neglecting the past. So I relate the idea of death and trauma to postmodernism and kind of show um, the relationship between that because I argue in my dissertation, and and obviously you can argue against it, it's 
it's only my argument, but I argue that death and trauma doesn't really coexist well with postmodernism because there's a process in which you need to remember in order to kind of continue um, rather than disregard um, the past. So then I focus, because my course is PPA, so I had to get some art in there, I focus on Rachel White-Reed and also the pictures of the 9-11 of the um, people falling from the towers, basically analyse them using postmodern concepts such as hyperreality and uh, leotard's postmodern condition and kind of use the those expositions of postmodernism as the backdrop for why a postmodern analysis or why the issues of postmodernism um when focusing on death are problematic and it probably is quite difficult to understand because I found it difficult to understand. <laughs> so maybe I've done a really bad job at um, doing my dissertation, but it's worked, so somehow it's worked. I mean, it hasn't really felt real yet that we're leaving, so I think the private view will make it sort of, like, wow, we've, we've done this, we've achieved this, which would be really nice. It's a pretty good climax to all the, all the work that you've yeah. um, put in. And also as like a kind of outsider to this, um, I think it's super inspiring to see what everyone else has been doing with their time um i loved it last year i think it was the best part of my second year just seeing everyone's stuff for clearing in august we heard from professor bavik patel who himself came through the clearing process to study at the university of brighton as you would imagine he had plenty of good advice clearing is um it's emotional i think when i think about clearing um you know so i i, I guess you know i went through at a time when I didn't get the grades, um, and it was devastating. I remember opening the envelope. There was Bs and Ds and all sorts of noise that was just not what I wanted. And, you know, my parents sort of, everything was going well, everything was progressing, and we were going to get to a university. And it was just heartbreaking, opening that envelope and seeing the grades, seeing their faces. A uh, really emotional period uh, for me, just knowing I hadn't got anything. And... Uh, I was in tears. I just couldn't do anything. It was my brother who um, called up universities. I couldn't even stomach doing it. Couldn't even talk to anyone. He called up the University of Brighton, ended up talking to someone and, and got through onto a course onto clearing. So for me, clearing was a lifeline. You know, it was my soul had gone and it come back. It was an opportunity. It was a second wind to do something, to make a change, to get over this trauma that had happened at probably an age where you shouldn't be handling trauma. And so for me, it was, it was massive. It, and, and in two days, I'm, I'm made by clearing. Because to me, clearing got me onto a course and it, it made me think of how do I become better? What did I do that wasn't right um, in my mind? And that could have been things that I didn't own up to being right about. So it was an opportunity to say, Okay, great. That's a wake-up call. Here's a lifeline. Go and grab it and, and get on with it. So to me, it's everything. Clearing is everything. Um, for me, when I called up, I spoke to the course leader um, at the time and he was incredibly nice. You know, he's incredibly nice. He uh, gave me loads of good advice, um, talked to me about what he f what I felt was the issues and why I didn't think I got the grades that I wanted. You know, it was a, it was a very frank and honest discussion, and I and I just felt 
the most important thing I felt was I felt that I was going to a place that would look after me. And, you know, I think most people want that. And I also felt I was going to a place where it wasn't a problem to highlight the issues that I had that I felt shouldn't be highlighted as issues. And my issues were, I was just rubbish at exams. This is really poor exam practice. And, you know, they nipped that in the bud within the first year because they just said, this, this can't continue. Here's some ways of studying exams. Here's some study skills. Go away and practice these sorts of things. So, you know, I think it's really important to... Um, you know, have those conversations and just be open and honest and frank about things because that's the beginning of change. That's where you're going to change your life around because you have those conversations for clearing. So for me, Brighton just felt comfortable. It felt like coming to a place where I knew they were looking after my best interests. The autumn saw a stellar run of inaugural lectures. We caught up with Professor Samita Verma of Brighton and Sussex Medical School and Professor Martin Smith of the School of Environment and Technology ahead of their lectures. Here's what they had to say. Okay, so there have been a lot of developments in hepatology since I became a consultant 15, 16 years ago. But one of the main ones has been to, has to try and eliminate a virus called hepatitis C virus. And this is a virus that causes um, a lot of problems. And, you know, in fact, now deaths from hepatitis C have overtaken deaths from HIV, if you, if you want a benchmark, you know, which is, we didn't have good treatments. We knew there were close to good treatments, but they have now arrived. And now we want to eliminate this virus. And for me, it's, it's quite poignant because one of my mentors um, in University of Southern California, Alan Redeker, was involved in the original discovery of this virus in 1989. Ah, so, so if we eliminate this virus, it'll definitely be a dream come true, but it'll be the first time that we have eliminated an infectious agent without the need for a vaccine. Through my career, the, the linking theme for all the research projects I've worked on has been what water does to rocks. Um, and that's critically important for water resources. If you live in Brighton, 90% of your tap water comes out of wells. It doesn't come from surface rivers and reservoirs. Um, the big area I've worked on in my career has been mineral deposit formation. And a huge percentage of mineral resources are formed through hydrothermal processes. So that's hot water getting into rocks and causing chemical changes, depositing new minerals. And from the time at the Natural History Museum and now, um, one of the things I work on there has become a huge issue, which is rare metals, and uh, particularly the rare earth elements. So as we move to renewable energy generation, we've got a huge expansion in certain sorts of technology that we're using. Um, there are things like lithium and cobalt in batteries that we don't use and don't produce enough of now, but we're all going to drive electric cars in 20 years' time. Um, there are things like selenium and tellurium that go into solar cells, and we're going to expand our use of those, but equally, they're not produced. And the one I work on personally is the rare earth elements. So certain of the rare earth elements go into making high field strength magnets. So if you want to make a lightweight turbine engine to go in a wind farm, then you want a neodymium-based um, magnet. Um, so it's an iron core as usual, but it has neodymium in it. If you want a lightweight motor to drive an electric car, so again, we're just looking at the same sorts of technology and we need the same sorts of materials. On top of all that, we also interviewed a range of our academic staff about their groundbreaking research throughout the year. Here are a few examples. I'm Richard Newman and in this edition I've been speaking to Duncan Baker-Brown from the University's School of Architecture and Design. 
we take materials from the natural world, we process them, make them into something, and then uh, use them for moments or months or whatever, and then throw them away. But the point is, there is no away. In a circular economy, there is no away because the stuff you would normally throw away feeds as source material new products. So a circular economy mirrors the way the natural world works, where there is no such thing as waste. This week, I've been speaking to Dr. Annie Ockelfit, senior lecturer in physical geography within the School of Environment and Technology. So I'm a rivers person, so I try and look at how sediment moves through rivers, and it's primarily during floods. So when we think about flooding, we think about water and lots of water being in the wrong place and probably what we would, you know, kind of flooding our houses, ruining our belongings, um, those that sort of thing. But actually, the sediment can do a lot of damage. So all the sediment that's moved during those floods you know, can damage kind of bridges or um, kind of infrastructure. So my research is trying to predict when that sediment's going to move, how much is going to move and kind of the implications of that. This week, Edwin Gilson spoke to Dr Matt Adams. I can see no social change more profound than the ecological crisis. In fact, the climate crisis is a social crisis in that it has been caused by social systems and practices and will only be overcome by collective and social change. And it reaches into the heart of psychology what it means to exist, to be a human on a planetary scale, arguably provokes a fundamental existential crisis. My guest this week is Yanis Pitsiladis, Professor of Sport and Exercise Science. I also realised more in the last few years that to really get my research from laboratory right through to the field, when I say the field, I'm talking about getting it into the Olympic Games, getting into the World Championships, getting into the, the, the World Cup. We need to be part of the system. Often, uh, many of my colleagues will sit and critique the system from outside. I've realized that by being inside the system, you can actually help transform it and rebrand it. This week, I was joined in the studio by Dr. Sarah Pitt of the School of Pharmacy and Biomolecular Sciences. I always wanted to be a microbiologist, I think. I do remember putting um, bits of uh, jam jars full of sugar water of various concentrations of sugar around my parents' house. Thank you to everyone whose voice you heard in the podcast and look out for the return of our weekly podcast series after the festive break. See you then.